Welcome to the For the Church podcast, another great gospel-centered resource from Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. My name is Jared Wilson. I'm assistant professor of pastoral ministry at Midwestern Seminary and author in residence. And I'm here as always, well, every other week with my friend, my colleague, my co-host, Dr. Ronnie Kurtz. He is assistant professor of Christian studies, assistant director of marketing, and he's a pastor at Emmaus Church, as well as the managing editor of For the Church. So if your article doesn't get picked up, blame him, <laughs> not me. Not a good time, Jared. Took my hands off of that. <laughs> Rejecting a lot of articles yeah. these days. Right? I just have a lot in my inbox okay. that I need to get to. So. I mean, I know that I know that feeling. Yeah, I'm just glad that that the the brunt falls on you. <laughs> now, how you been, man? It's been I'm a little good. while, man. I gotta say, your voice on the intro it's just buttery smooth. Is it? It's <laughs> just so good. Just that welcome to the for the church. It's just mm. uh, you're, 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 you're okay. You you're built for radio. I got a face for radio. <laughs> you got a face for radio. <laughs> Well, I appreciate that. I've been told that before, and I'll just say it's it's a grace of God. I, you know, if my voice is good for radio or for preaching or whatever, because I was a stutterer from wow. for a very long time. I Kin- forgot about. Yeah, I knew this. I forgot. Started about kindergarten, first grade, and I was plagued with stuttering through. Uh, I mean, even like early college. Look at you now. Like it was still a big deal. So, um, it's something the Lord's done in my life. I guess. That's amazing. Yeah. Praise him. And here I am. Yeah. Praise God. <laughs> yeah, I'm doing well. How are For you? For sure. I'm doing okay. It's my uh it's my birthday week. Wait, are you serious? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Happy birthday. November first is my birthday. Oh so, man. I should have had something prepared. When this comes out, it was two days ago. When okay. we're recording this, it's still four well, or five days happy out. Happy birthday, both in the future. Do you wanna and the you past. wanna guess how, how old I am? Uh, I absolutely do not want to do that. <laughs> <laughs> I wanna see if I'm gonna be uh complimented or insulted. Right. Guess guess I, how old I turned. On November 1st. Uh, you will turn 41. <laughs> That's How close. Such a <laughs> How close? I'm 41. You thought I was that young. That's, what I, that's my legitimate guess. I, I turned 46 okay, on November that's not, that's 1st. That's five yeah. years off. So, that's not well, bad. I mean, the best years are behind me. Yeah. Is all 46. I could, 46. Happy 46, yeah. my friend. So not much longer to go. <laughs> I did just uh, yeah. read a book uh, called 4,000 Weeks, okay. which is like a, the, the, I think the subtitle is something like Time Management for Mortals. Oh. And basically the concept is if you live to 80, you only get 4,000 weeks. So you've already used like Whoa. well over half a year. Yeah. <laughs> I've used them up. Well, and I also read a few months ago, there was some article that came out and I don't know how they determined this, but it was something like every hot dog you eat subtracts 30 minutes from your life. I'm not making this up. This is a, I, sh- I should have looked it up. This is a real thing. Rest came in out. peace, Joey Chestnut. It was, yeah, it was like every hot dog is like 30 minutes. I don't, I don't remember what it was. It was like 30 minutes, something deducted. And I'll tell you, ever since I read that, I've been craving hot dogs. Wow. Nonstop. So I had a hot dog at the movies. The death when dog. I don't, I don't normally have hot dogs at movie theater. <laughs> I had a movie theater hot dog. I ate like three at the, Bra- at the, uh, uh, the Royals, Royals game, game. Yeah. a few weeks ago I saw after that. for the church. I was like, oh, they got hot dogs here. There's just something about a ballpark. Trying to die by the dog. I just thought, <laughs> here's 90 minutes right here. Here's, I'm just, uh, I'm just going for it. Hey, uh, we got a mailbag episode today, but I thought um, our new custom would be good to continue. Uh, just read some reviews. Yeah, do it. We we have people who actually are now coming in to leave us some good ratings and reviews. Here's from In Sims 13 on <laughs> Apple Podcasts. Subject: Great topics. Yeah. And gave us poorly executed. Gave us five stars. No, in Sims thirteen says the content of the podcast is great, and the dialogue between Jared and Ronnie and guests is always engaging. The mailbag episodes 
are my favorite. Wow. Because the various topics help keep a solid flow throughout those episodes. Huh. And I found the answers to the questions presented helpful and encouraging. Hey, that's actually pretty encouraging to yeah. me. I always wonder about the mailbag ones. Yeah, this one really liked the mailbags. Thanks a lot, awesome. Sims 13 Here's from Granter86. Granter86, five stars. I'm currently between ministries, and this podcast is a constant source of encouragement as I wait for the Lord to lead me into my next ministry. Mm. This is one of the most informative and entertaining podcasts I have listened <laughs> to. Keep them coming, brothers. And then he gives us a hashtag UFOs are real. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> I was super into this uh, this review until that little hashtag. We actually have numerous uh, comments on the UFO episode it's, in particular. I cannot get away from it, Jared. You have plagued me. HCC Highland, five stars. I love the podcast. Found it very informative. I even like the UFO oh episode. Oh, my goodness. Those who don't like the—and then I like this personal note. HCC Highland says, those who don't like the episodes with just Jared need to go back and listen to them again. Yeah, They I are agree. great. And very useful and insightful. That's why he liked the UFO episode, because it was basically a solo episode. Maybe that's right. HCC <laughs> Highland is a, is a Jared fan, maybe. Uh, all right, let's go. Uh, one more here. This comes from Primal Jeff. And I think I know this fellow. He's a pastor out in Florida. Uh, good brother. He's been very kind to me. Five stars, Primal Jeff says. He says, I've been a fan for a while. As a pastor, the content is right where I live and tend, and tend to visit. The relationships and struggles are not exactly unique, but pastoring is not at all just preaching. Very helpful content. So that's cool. Yeah. yeah Thanks, guys. Yeah. Leave us a good review. And you might hear it on the program. It is a mailbag episode today. We're going to move quickly because we got a lot of questions. And yeah. one of the things that I noticed this time is uh, Facebook was a total disaster. <laughs> So, that could be said almost always. I, well, that's true. <laughs> but normally we get a good balance of Twitter and Facebook. But um, Facebook on one place, I posted on my personal page, a call for questions, no comments. Nobody mm. replied. That they're, they're sick of hearing about, you know, of us and from us. <laughs> on my, on my um, author page, on my professional page, I posted a call for questions. We got one question. And uh, actually, we got two questions. One is, when is the art of pastoring coming back? Which is... <laughs> Wow. <laughs> Which is the other podcast that I do. <laughs> okay, bud. <laughs> With the other Ronnie. My uh, goodness. Yeah, if you're How if offensive. you're new, if you're unfamiliar, The Art of Pastoring is a podcast that I co-host with my friend Ronnie Martin. Um and it's on the Christianity Today platform. And the fellow wanted to know when that's coming back. Wow. This is for the church with Ronnie Kurtz. So I <laughs> if I do a podcast with you, your name has to be Ronnie, but one so day they're asking about the other podcast. That's right, yeah. <laughs> One day, Ronnie Martin and I yeah. are going to do a podcast without you. Ooh, the Ronnies. I <laughs> like right. it. A couple of Ronnies. One with an E, one without. Yeah, that's right. Mo Ronnies. Oh, my god. I gosh. like it. Mo- <laughs> I'm not coming to you for marketing Mo- advice Mo for Ronnie Ronnies. and I's yeah. podcast. <laughs> uh, and then there was one other question that was a legit question. So that's okay. it. Out of okay. two posts on Facebook, one legit question. Thanks so Everything lot, else Facebook. came from Twitter. And here's the first Twitter question. This comes from Josh W., who asks... How can we effectively approach a brother or sister with truth in love? How can we effectively approach a brother or sister with truth in love? And Josh went on to um, ask about and have them receive it well, et cetera, et cetera. I left that off because you you can't control how somebody responds. Yeah. You can't. You, there's no guarantee that if you even do every you know all the right things in approaching somebody that they're going to respond well. So I just sort of truncated it to talk about the first part of it, which is how do you effectively approach somebody 
with truth and love. And I assume he means someone who is engaged in sin or other unhelpful or unhealthy behavior. Uh, what does it look like? Yeah, obviously, I think this and the way you answer this question totally depends upon the the context of that relationship. Sure. Of course, if it's a church member, that looks way different than you know you're at you're at a dinner with a couple of buddies and someone makes a little bit of an off color joke. I mean, those they're just very different situations. Sure, okay. I would say no matter what, uh, kindness is key. Uh, the fruit of the spirit are always the fruit of the spirit, regardless if it's admonition or not. So I would say that. I would also say be be socially aware enough to know where your relational equity lies. Like if you have a lot of relational bandwidth with this person, you have a lot of history, uh, you might be able to approach it totally different than if this is, you know, third or fourth time ever hanging out. There's not a lot of relational equity there. Uh, That's just going to be really important. And then obviously, uh, if it's a church member, I think Matthew's going to answer this question for us, right? I think there's a biblically prescribed model in which uh, what, what was the person's name again? You said Josh. Josh. Yeah, I think he's smart to include truth and love. Yeah. That's the role of the Christian uh, admonitions is we bring, we never divorce truth from love. So I, I think he's actually answering his own question by the way he formed his question. Yeah, um, I think two things. There's, a, there's kindness and, in, and there is clarity that needs to happen. Yeah, that's so good. kindness in the sense of, uh, when you're approaching somebody, you approach them in humility. You're not trying to to come from a place of self righteousness. the The offense that you're addressing is not even primarily about um, that you're offended and you're acting out of a personal affront or out of uh, what we might call vengeance or an unforgiveness. But you're coming in kindness, right? It's God's kindness that leads us to repentance. So if you're looking for repentance from them, you don't want to approach in a combative way. There's times to engage in polemics. The relational confrontation isn't one of them, I don't think. Yep. Maybe way down the line. But in the beginning, approaching somebody with a sense of kindness, that's how you exhibit the love of Christ to them. But a clarity as well. So you're not vague about what it is you're trying to address and a clarity about what the scriptures say, right? So um, I heard you say this uh, this thing or you believe this thing or you did this thing. Um, you know, the scriptures would say this. You know, how would you... Uh, compare your action or your words with, um, you know, these words we find in the Bible, being in a sense even inquisitive yeah, about it. That's helpful. So that you're not putting them necessarily on the defensive, but giving them an invitation to respond, yeah. to explain, to clarify. Help me understand. Help me understand, those yep. sorts of things. Um, but with a clarity exactly about what it is you're addressing and not a vague sort of offense, not a vague, uh, you know, um, you know, you've been, you, you feel a, an affront to them or, or, or something like that, but there's a clarity about the specific issue and you approach it in kindness. I think that's probably the, yeah. the, the way to do it. Um, but again, Josh, I don't think there's a way to guarantee how someone's going to respond. Uh, someone who is unrepentant and has a hardness of heart about particular things, you could be as kind as you, as you can and as gentle as you can, and that's not a guarantee they're going to receive it well. Yeah. So, it, it, you know, we don't need to be pragmatic, I think, um, about it at all. Uh, okay, next question. This comes from Bennett C. Bennett C. asks, and this, this, I had to think about this for a while because this is a, it's, a, it's a great question, but also kind of a difficult one. What's the best mistake you ever made in this ministry? This is a good question. What's the best mistake you ever made in ministry? I'll go first. Yeah, go first. Yeah. Um, so I thought about this and was thinking about a particular, you know, decision that I made or something like that. 
And then I realized I needed to kind of expand my view. I think the best mistake I made was planting a church. (laughs) Um, I look back on it and go, I know that the Lord used it. I don't think I'm wired or designed to be a church planter. If I had to do it over again, I— if I did it, I would have done it way differently. I have zero plans in the future to plant a church, certainly not as a solo planter. A lot of the ways I went about it were completely upside down. They were against um, how I'm wired to be, and they weren't really even with the grain of how church planting should be done fruitfully. Um, but I had um, just, you know, Cliff Notes version of the story. I had a group as a, a part of a, a, a ministry in a larger church that I was their pastor. And when we made the decision that we were, that we needed to leave that church, I went and met with the elders. I talked to them about this. We took that young adult ministry. It was a ministry to college students and 30 something, you know, to 20 somethings, 30 somethings. We took that ministry and planted as an independent church. Hmm. And that was largely not because I had a big dream, um, ambitious dream about being a church planter. It was, I felt like I was these people's pastor and I didn't want to abandon them. Yeah. Um, And I had the church's blessing to essentially Anyone who wanted to go, it's not like you had to go with me, but anyone who wanted to go could go. And, and so we took folks out, and I was pastoring them. But in terms of building a thing, systems administration, the entrepreneurial deal, all of that, I didn't have a network, no association. Wow. It was just me and a, and a little team trying to figure out what to do. So it was a mistake on that level. But it was the best mistake I ever made because that's where I began to get a lot of reps and and kind of you know getting my feet under me in terms of gospel centered preaching. Mm. Um, I've been doing preaching for ten years or so before that, but not in the gospel centered you know framework. So that was the first ministry um, context for me to kind of work out what does it look like to preach Christ from the text and those sorts of things. Gospel centered counseling and discipleship. It was my first sort of context to kind of work all those things out. Yeah. And when I talked to the people who were involved then, um, they talk about it as being a great blessing for them, setting a trajectory for them for future leadership, and then and, and just an affection and affinity for the finished work of Christ in a way yeah. they didn't have before. So though the thing died when I left to go pastor a church in Vermont, the, the, you know, the spirit of um, the finished work of Christ, the spirit of grace— um, lived on yeah. and actually even kind of spread out. So it it was a, you know, the Lord used it in a great way in my life and some other people's lives as well. Um, and so while it was a mistake on paper in in the heart, it was the best mistake yep. that I ever made. Yeah, that's yeah. a really good answer. That's helpful. Um, yeah, for me, this is a hard question. It's a good question, but a hard question. I think uh, mine, yours is one of those ones where it's like you're in a job interview and you're like, Oh, my biggest weakness is that I, you know, volunteer too much. (laughs) (laughs) It's like it's a mistake, but it's a good thing. Mine feels like a legitimate mistake where I messed up. Okay. Hurt feelings. But what the Lord taught me early on in ministry out of this mistake, I'll never forget. Mm. So the the situation, and I think I've actually shared a portion of this story before, but the the background here is I'm I'm about to move to Kansas City, planting a church. And uh, there's about 10 to 12 of us who are considering, are you going to move to Kansas City with us to plant? We had a couple of really strong yeses. And so we felt really excited about this core team that was going to move here to plant what is now Emmaus Church. And uh, the particular brother who I offended in this situation is actually a weekly listener. So he'll know who he is. But uh, (laughs) he was a committed yes. And then before we ever moved here, him and his family decided they weren't going to come here. They were going to go to a different church in Kansas City. 
And I know it's going to surprise you as a member of the Get Along Gang, but yeah. when he broke the news to me, I handled it so poorly. Oh, wow. I mean, just, I was like um, flustered. I was hot. Like I could feel it in my physical body, like how angry I was. Yeah. I felt betrayed. Um, just almost unexplainably angry mm. that he was abandoning the church plant. And I mean, it was quick after the phone call got over that conviction just overwhelmed me. And I realized that was early. I mean, I was very early. My ministry probably 23 years old at, at, around there. I remember thinking I identify my, I, 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 I so equate success in ministry with my identity that if folks choose to not, not follow me, it feels like a personal attack. Yeah, yeah. Mm. And that's a, every pastor has to learn that. Uh, most pastors already know that. But for me, uh, the way I handle, this is a brother who has, Proven he loved me, proven he was in my corner, uh, proven that he was a legitimate friend, a longtime ministry partner, and I totally mishandled the news that he was going to go to a different church. Um, really unmature and, yeah, it, sorry even to this day kind of thing. But it made me realize early, I can't do that. Mm -hmm. I'm prone to do it, and I can't do it. I cannot identify my value and personal worth with the success or non-success of my ministry or who decides to join me or not? I just cannot do that. And learning yeah. that early, I'm just so thankful. I'm thankful it was him yeah. because our relationship's been restored. He actually did come to the church, so I was able to be friends with him anyway. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, and I'm just thankful it happened early because it was a lesson I needed to learn yeah. that could have been way harder later on. You know, I still struggle with that. Like, yeah. I'm not a pastor, but when someone leaves Liberty, I'm kind of like, what's, what's wrong with us? Exactly. Yes. You know? Yeah. You're like, we're good. Yeah. We're good too. <laughs> and I think when it's a church plant, you're like, my vision. Yeah. I mean, you just do all the mys, which is so dirty. Like, this is yeah. my church, my vision. Hmm. Like, my, like, no, it's not. It's all the Lord's, but. That's good. Okay. This question comes from Neil J. Neil says, uh, What gentle words of Jesus stick with you? This is a kind of an introspective question or <laughs> um, good reflective question. What gentle words of Jesus stick with you? Yeah. I think. Uh, Jesus's words are very uh, personal and important to every Christian, of course, and a lot of them come up all the time. But the one that I meet, when I read this question, obviously, you know, um, all who are weary and heavy laden comes to my mind. But what's interesting is not not just that, but the whole notion of come to me. Mm. I think that, I think about that often. Anyone who comes to me, I will no wise cast out. That's right. Yeah. I think the... Um, and even, you know, the, the, the come to me all who are, you know, heavy laden, those heavy kinds laden, of things. Yeah. Um, the gentle only heart obviously is amazing, but the come to me portion of what he says there is really interesting to me because often when I'm convicted of sin, it's just the last place I want to go. I'm just, I am the kind of person who would rather beat myself up for three weeks and call that repentance yeah. than go to Jesus when I feel like I've been disobedient. And which is totally unproductive and the way that I'm just introspective and self-critical when I sin to me, that's what it feels like I should do, which is, which is terribly ungospel centered. Yeah. But so the, the notion of him calling me towards himself, even in moments of sin, like Ronnie, I know, yeah. I know that you're broken. I know that you're dirty. Come to me still. Where do you uh, think that comes from? The, the, reluct the reluctance. Uh, I think it's the, I mean, I think there's a lot of, of things there and, yeah, this could be a long conversation, but uh, I think I have a self-critical bent that's pretty strong. Okay. Uh, self-analytical. So I have a feedback loop in my head of my own mistakes, my own shortcomings, those kinds of things. And so 
uh, I have a propensity to beat myself up pretty hard. And so uh, I, I can convince myself that uh, self-belittlement is sweeter than forgiveness. And that that's what I actually need to do when what I really need to do is surrender to Jesus's words to come to him. Wow. Uh, mine, the, the ones that stick with me um, is the, the statement to the woman caught in adultery, neither, neither do I condemn you. That's um, right in the center of my heart. Mm. Neither do I condemn you. And I think it, it's obviously connected to what you were sharing as well. I think my reluctance to go to Christ or my reluctance to understand really the the forgiveness that we have in the gospel is just knowing how holy God is, how holy Christ is, and how unholy I am. Yeah. So in the midst of my sin or just in the wake of shame from it or embarrassment or just, you know, brokenness about it, I think I can't face him. Mm. I can't talk to him. I can't hear from him because I'm so unworthy and I'm, gr- and I'm gross. Yeah. I'm embarrassed. Yep. And to have Christ say to this woman who was in danger of being executed in the moment, neither do I condemn you. Wow. Mm-hmm. Of course, Paul echoes that in Romans 8, 1 and a million other places as well. But those are the gentle words that stick with me. There's no condemnation. Yep. And the one person who legitimately owes us condemnation. <laughs> that, our, that upside down, that, par- that paradox is, uh, is beautiful to me still. Thanks for the great question, yeah. Neil. Uh, Ryan Kay says, what should a church member do when an elder has committed a moral failure and the leadership is overlooking it? And I'm going to assume from Ryan's question that by moral failure, he means exactly that or that he's speaking to sexual immorality or something akin to it, not simply a disappointment or a bad decision or something, but a legitimately disqualifying moral failure. And the rest of the leadership is just kind of looking the other way. What do you do when, in, when that happens? Yeah, I think some other assumptions need to be made as well to answer this question properly, because I, I would assume that this brother or sister um, has already gone through the the biblically prescribed methods of taking it to that person, going with another, taking it to the council of elders. I'm assuming that's already happened. Yeah. Unsuccessfully, the, the moral failing that's disqualifying is still persistent. There's still no kind of audience amongst the elder team. At that point, I think you could do a couple of things. I think one, if there's any denominational affiliation, you, you could go that route. So yeah. talk to an association leader, talk to a denominational leader, uh, ask if that if that pastor has some close pastoral friends that are not connected to the church, do it in a way. And, and by the way, I mean, of course, any of this advice, you, I would want you to be so careful that it's not gossip and it's true gospel concern. Yeah, you, yeah, and, and and you know it's true. It's not yeah, a suspicion. Yeah, it's not like right. silliness. You know. Yeah. I don't want anyone being like Jared and Ronnie told me I should go tell all my friends. Right, right. Yeah. Uh, no, but if he has pastoral friends, like if I was caught in sin and my pastors were overlooking it, I would like to think. That if someone went to, you know, your pastor, Nathan, who's a dear friend of mine, for example, Nathan would come talk to me, you know, uh, as like a pastor to pastor kind of thing. And if that doesn't work, uh, I, I don't see many other options than to exit exit the church at that yeah. point. Um, so I, that, that's probably how I would handle it. Yeah, I mean, as you indicated, I think obviously the the, the context of the church, the polity, all of that affects sort of the, the chronology of that's things, right. the yeah. order of things. 
you know, when Christ says, if, 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 if they don't listen to it after, you know, witnesses, you take it to the church. Well, if, if elders are overlooking it, and again, this is an issue that you have, you have, you know, evidence of or firsthand uh, accounting of, not just something you suspect, but this is an actual thing that's really happened. I'm assuming that's the case. Um, if there, if your church is congregational, um, if, if the, if the leadership is unwilling to address this, you bring it up at a business meeting. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the next line. That's a, that's a you know, almost nuclear option, but if you're put in a corner in that regard, the church has to deal with this. And if the church won't deal with it, then, um, I think your only recourse is, is, is to leave because mm-hmm. the church is disordered. If they're going to cover up unrepentant sin among the pastors and allow for a disqualified person to operate, then really you don't have any other recourse mm-hmm. beyond that. Um, I don't think making a public stink is um, is is the right course of action. I mean, I can I can imagine scenarios where that might be appropriate if we're talking about so, uh, uh, you know people are in danger of some kind um, that there's an ongoing you know threat to vulnerable people within the church or something, and you, you've exhausted every other option. I could see how that could be a resource to make something public that way, but I don't think that's an automatic necessity in, 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 in every situation. But if the church is just showing on every level uh, no inclination to follow the biblical, um, you know, the biblical order and the biblical parameters for addressing this sort of thing, then probably you have to find another church. Yep. I think that's probably the only recourse that you've got. Okay, Philip C., Asks about short-term mission trips. I'm actually surprised we haven't covered this on a previous episode. I, I I went back looking through to see if we ever covered it in a mailbag or even a standalone episode, and we didn't. Huh. Um, it's it's a, an important subject, and and people talk about it all the time. So it's certainly worth spending a, a few minutes on. Um, short-term mission trips. He says, good, bad, ugly. What are your <laughs> thoughts? Short-term mission trips. I'll let you go. Yeah, that's that is a good question. Um. <clears throat> I think I would start by saying I don't feel super um, equipped to answer this question. I feel like I'm operating out of quite a bit of ignorance, which I think should be admitted up front. Uh, I'm not a a missiologist. Uh, I've done a number of mission trips and have really enjoyed them. I've never done long-term missions. I've never even done medium-term missions. Okay. And so, um, you know, the longest I've ever been overseas for a trip is two weeks. Okay. So I've never done like a six month or a year medium trip or an extended time. And so I would say it's one thing to, to talk to two pastors like Jared and I, or, or people who have pastored like Jared and I, it's another thing to, to ask on the field missionaries, their particular opinion. And so I'm going to, I'm going to relay what I've heard from them. Cause I think their words more important than mine. Here. Okay. Uh, and I've heard mixed reviews. Yeah. I've heard long Depends on the trip. That's right. Yeah, I've heard okay. long-term folks say no, those are really refreshing. One, I, just for me in relational context, like it's refreshing to speak my native tongue. It's yes. refreshing to joke in like a context that I know I'm free to joke in. It's, it's refreshing just to like have deep conversations theologically or even, no, it's actually helpful. Like the amount of work you guys do, if, it's, right. if there's a good missional strategy for the short-term trip, you actually can bless the long-term workers. And that people are showing interest. Sometimes when you're out. That's exactly right. You know, and you feel somewhat isolated and alienated. And maybe there's furlough where you come back and you travel around, that kind of thing. But that people would be willing to come visit you. Yes. And, and I know this is a part of the question in, in terms of like what you do on that trip, whether that's good or bad. But just 
the idea that you would make a trip out yes. and see yep. someone in their own ministry context, that's always a blessing, yep. Yep. right? In and of yeah. itself, it's, it's a blessing. And then I, some people make light of, you know, when, when folks say something like, you know, sometimes the mission trip is actually for you, not for who you're going to serve. Now, sure. that's, easy to tease, that's easy to tease and poke fun at, but just about everyone who was called to full-time missions okay, yeah, okay. typically felt I'm, that. I'm going to make a, a similar point in, 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 in a, minute, a short-term a mission trip. Yes. You know? uh, and I, so, I, I hardly know a missionary who didn't at least have a call confirmed or receive a call in some way by going on a short-term that's trip. Right. That's yeah. right. Now, the flip side, of course they can be silly. Yeah. Right? There are times in which if you're going and there is a long-term missionary there and you're countering their work or you're hurting their reputation yeah. or you're doing something silly that's that you're bringing cultural baggage into their world that they've worked hard to kind of counter, that's silliness, and, and I don't think we should do that. Yeah. But I think there are many ways in which short-term trips can be helpful. Yeah. Um, obviously, there's ways to do this that's really terrible and <laughs> self-interested and I don't know. Sometimes I call it, you know, the white savior mentality or Western savior mentality and that sort of thing. And there's ways that are to do it that are exploitative and those sorts of things. And and sometimes you'll hear the criticism of what's sometimes called like missional tourism yeah. or something like that. Yeah. I want to give a, just a, a little defense, rightly understood, of missional tourism. Okay. And I almost think it could be better even than going. So say you want to go and you're like, we're going to build, you know, a, a church, you know, building for somebody or we're going to go whatever. Uh, that's all well and good. Often those sorts of trips, you're taking work away from locals who could use the money, um, you know, or who could use the work, that sort of thing. And oftentimes it's carried out, this work is carried out by people who have no business doing construction at all, right? <laughs> the fact that you can carry something doesn't mean that you're going to do it well, right? It's just you feel useful, that sort of thing. I almost want to say doing the kind of, again, rightly understood missional tourism is better to get a sense you're a visitor there. You're witnessing what takes place there. You're building relationships with what's going on in a certain uh, missional context, perhaps receiving a vision. So I know there are certain even missions organizations. They'll host what they call vision trips. Mm -hmm. And it's a short-term mission trip, but it's essentially to go and they tour you around to see the context, get a sense of the culture, see what it's like to be immersed for a week or two weeks, see if you might have a vision either for, for going or sending or for supporting financially. We want you to see what it's like to do ministry here and do mission here. There's, that's, that's a great thing. Yes. I think that's a good thing. There's obviously bad ways to do it, but in and of itself, I think it's good. Um, in general, if you're doing the kind of service kind of uh, short-term mission trip, just a couple of you know, uh, boundaries or, 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 or guidelines that I would give is have a relationship with a local church there, yes. not just some kind of parachurch ministry that's kind of deploying you out to do you know, hand out food here and there and that kind of thing. But actually have a relationship with a local church that's making disciples, preaching the gospel. They'll know how to employ you well. You can be an encouragement to them. Um, make sure that it's a piece of a, a larger commitment, a longer relationship. So uh, my father, who is not a pastor, um, until his uh, retirement a few years ago, he worked in retail and, and, you know, retail stores, that sort of thing. But he had been leading for about 15, 16 years uh, short-term trips to Honduras and to the same place to help the same church planting pastor there who was basically raising up pastors to plant churches in different neighborhoods around La Ceiba. And so they go to the same place. My dad had an ongoing relationship with this pastor and then the pastors he was raising up. 
that was a part of an of of all through the year conversations, financial support. Um, you know, what are your ministry needs? What are your you know material needs? Um, helping people in those churches who who uh, were tradesmen. So if they came in and like, oh, the project we want you guys to do is to help add a room onto this thing. My dad's thinking is, do you have men in your church who could really use that? And so we can serve as grunt work, but we want to be able to support workers here. Mm-hmm. And so I mean, it's just a bigger picture of being a benefit and not just we're dropping in to feel good about ourselves. And it's a piece of a larger relationship that you have, an ongoing connection that you have to a local church. We're for the church here. I think every church, when thinking missionally, ought to think in terms of being for the church there, wherever you're going. Those are some things that I would give. Obviously, there's terrible ways to do short-term trips, um, but in and of themselves, I think they can be good and helpful. And as we both shared, inspiring and and part of God, you know, the way God calls people to long-term missions yeah. is through getting a glimpse That's right. um, in these short-term trips. So I'm going to say, Philip C., when you say good, bad, or ugly, I'm going to say short-term mission trips, good. I, I'll, I'm with you. I second yeah. it. We're going to say they're good. All right, last question, and it's the one from Facebook. Kind of a fun question. Um, when is Art of Pastoring coming back? No, that's not. That was the other. That was the other. Well, hopefully question. soon. Yeah, I know. I was actually talking with the other Ronnie about that this morning. Um, this comes from Lanier on Facebook, who asks, "What fiction are you reading?" This is how we're going to end. I love this with some question. fiction. I think I know. I know like Lanier. you read a Penguin Classics every week. It seems like <laughs> you're like tearing it up. Fiction is good for my soul, man. Yeah, that's it's good. Just, okay. Yeah, I love it. What uh, you reading lately? Okay, we could do a whole episode here. This is dangerous. We could. Um, we have. So go back and listen yeah, to that one. Yeah, that's right. Uh, but this, I literally yesterday, I finished a book um, called Cloud Cuckoo Land. Okay. Great title. <laughs> yeah. Cloud Cuckoo, Cloud Land Cuckoo Land was written by Anthony. It sounds like something like a six-year-old would make up. <laughs> this is Cloud Cuckoo Land. Apparently, that's a saying. I didn't oh. know that. Okay. I didn't yeah, know that like either. Say, it's almost like calling someone airheaded, like they live on Cloud Cuckoo Land. Well, I've heard of calling people cuckoo. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't know that was a they saying. They live on Cloud Cuckoo Land. Mm-hmm. Never heard of it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So the internet told me it was a saying. Okay, all right, all right. No, but it was written by Anthony Doerr, who okay. wrote All the Light We Cannot See, uh, which won the Pulitzer in, I think, 16. Uh, this is his first book since winning the Pulitzer Prize. And uh, All the Light We Cannot See is one of my favorite modern fiction books. I okay. really loved that book. And I was worried for him. It's one of those things where like a musical artist creates an incredible album. And no matter what they do next, it's kind of a disappointment. I was yeah. worried for Anthony that he, okay. no matter what he You're was going to do. You're on a first name do, basis with this fellow, oh, yeah, aren't you? Okay. We know each other. So it's a one-way relationship. But yeah. um, anyways, he did not disappoint. Mm. He, he was able to follow up all the light. So it is, I, the way I would say it, I'm, gonna, I'm writing a long-form review for Gospel Coalition. So I won't spill too many beans. But uh, it's not as beautiful as all the light we cannot see but I think it's more brilliant, which is saying something because that okay. was a brilliant book. Um, and then this morning I started The Gentleman in Moscow. So okay. never read it. It's my first Immortals book. Yeah. Um, you, I'm, I, I know a lot of people have read it. I feel like I'm really my late wife to the game. has. Yeah, I have not so, read it. Yeah, she actually okay. commented. She's read Cloud Cuckoo Land too. Okay. She finished yeah, it before me. Well, she so. does audiobooks and keeps them in her earbuds literally like all day. So she wow. has these rechargeable <laughs> earbuds that carry around. like, And she, so she's listening to a book like, all, all day nonstop while yeah, she's non-stop. doing stuff. I, I can't do that. So, of no, course, yeah. she's outpacing me because, you know, I I have a real job, not like my <laughs> wife. <who knows. laughs> oh, wow. I want out of this she, episode. 
<laughs> Becky, I do not agree she, with that joke. <laughs> she has the realest job imaginable. She also listens now, so I, I, I got to be yeah. really careful. She's actually going back through all the old episodes. She like started listening. She's like, I'm going to listen to all the old episodes. And I was like, man, did I ever like make a joke or anything? I'm like nervous. She's going to encounter, but I think I've been very yeah. You've okay. been a good husband. Yeah, yeah, I've been. Yeah, thanks, yeah, Ronnie. Yeah, Tom Pukuland and a gentleman in Moscow. How about you? Okay, um, I'm still making my way very slowly through Steinbeck's East of Eden ah. in little snatches and chunks here and there. Um, I'll plug real quick. Yeah, we have started a series this year called "The Lord and Literature" okay. for the church. Yeah, where when folks are inspired by good works of fiction and how it has it how it affects their yeah. Affections for Jesus uh, to write an article, and we just published one on East of Eden. Oh, okay. I need I, to check it out. I am Midwestern, so it's a very good article. So keep going. I have to check it out. Yeah, yeah. Well, it it's you know kind of a not a retelling, but sort of inspired. It's sort of a, a shadow version of the Cain and Abel story, Adam and Eve and Cain and Abel. Um, this single dad in California raising um, two sons, one who seems to flourish in life and receive love from everybody and that sort of thing. And then another son who's um, bent in some way, carries around a great darkness of some kind. And so it kind of parallels that story. And I'm not, not super deep into it, but I'm, I'm enjoying so far. I'm just kind of trying to um, meditate on what I'm experiencing as I go. And it's only, it's I think the third Steinbeck that I've read in, in my whole life. So um, his, his characterization is amazing, yeah. of course. Um, and of course, one of the greatest American novelists for sure. Uh, but then most recently I picked up and I'm somewhat embarrassed about this. Uh, oh no. <laughs> so I've been doing a lot of traveling and, uh, so I'm on airplanes a lot. And the, um, a couple of weeks ago, just in the airport, I thought I need to just, just like grab a book, um, for the times I can't sleep. And so I just went in, I looked at all the, the stupid paperback th- you know, thrillers that they have in the airport bookstore. And I grabbed one called somebody's daughter by David Bell. Which is, I, I, I was going to call it a trashy novel, but it's not trashy in a sense there's like adult content or anything like that in it. It's just trashy in that it's just like a pulp yeah. kind of novel. It's a mystery. Yeah. This guy, his ex-wife knocks on his door one night and says, my daughter's disappeared. And he was like, I didn't even, what do you mean you had a daughter? They were divorced like years ago. And she goes, it's not just my daughter, it's your daughter. And she like ropes him into searching for this kidnapped daughter that he didn't know he had. And he's not even sure if it's real, if the daughter, number one, is real. Yeah. And so it's kind of in the like uh, the vein of like Gone Girl, woman on girl on the train. This fits so much kind with of your stuff. love of taking. Gone Girl was actually pretty good, by the way. Um, but yeah, it, it's it's just a you know dumb, yeah. mindless popcorn movie you know, type book. Uh, yeah. A voice I love, I really re- appreciate a lot these days is Alan Jacobs. Okay, and uh, Alan has a number of great books. Uh, we're not on a first name basis, okay. but uh, he once argued that you know you should. Reading great works of literature is yeah. like eating a steak. Yeah. And it's actually a fairly unhealthy diet if you just constantly eat steak as much mm. as I would like that. Yeah. And so it's actually worthwhile to you need throw a pop in tart a, every now you need and again. Pop tart, you know. Just. And that's I, this it's what this is. I'm not I'm not I'm not even recommending this. I'm no, just saying yeah, yeah. the question was what are you reading that's fiction? That's what Frederick Bachman is to me. Okay. I know your wife loves him. Oh, but so yeah, he, he's a little more elevated, right? He'd be yeah, like he, a gourmet. He, he'd be one of those pop tarts you get at the hipster coffee that's shops. That's exactly right. Yeah. Where they make their own pop tarts. That's right. So, yeah, so yeah. when I need a break from you know, eighteen yeah. hundreds literal. I'll read a Frederick Bach. Yeah, so I don't know how the story ends up. If you're tempted to look it up or pick it up, I have no idea what the resolution's <laughs> going to be. Not endorsed. I'm about two hundred some pages into this little paperback, and uh, I'm just reading it on airplanes. I'm not reading it anyplace else. Love so it. it's just something to pass the time. Yeah. Hey, these were great questions. Thanks so much for sending. We'll do another mailbag episode probably before the end of the year. We're kind of on the downhill slope here. Maybe we'll do one more in the next month or so. 
uh, to round out the year. But uh, if you enjoy this, if you enjoy the podcast in general, of course, leave us a good review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. We love you, listener. Thanks for spending time with us. By my count, at this point, 39 minutes and 37, 38 seconds, 39 seconds, 40 <laughs> Who's seconds. Who's counting? Thank you so much. Until next time, may Jesus be big in your church. You've been listening to the For the Church podcast, hosted by Jared Wilson, found online at ftc.co. This resource is brought to you by Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary in Kansas City, Missouri, where we train leaders for the church. 